All right, so big day for Buddy Walk. It's finally happening. You know, when we set out on this season of doing guest hosts and having guest spots and all of those kinds of things, yours was the first name that popped into my head that I wanted to get in front of a mic and and cut it up with. Um, For those eagle-eyed listeners that have been uh, rocking with us for a while, if you recognize the man that you're about to hear from, it's because coming to you today is the voice of the old intro and outro for the show. Um, and and the original guest for Kingdom on the Road. I want you guys to give a warm welcome to Seth. Yes, that Seth that I have made references about and different things like that. Um, and man, it's it's good to finally get you on the show. I totally forgot about the intro. Yeah. <laughs> what year was that? Like, that was 2020. Which which version of 2020 was that? Good oh, Lord. man. I, right? I keep thinking it's 2021. I kid you not. Oh, yeah. I have not adopted the fact that it is. We are literally more than 25% through 2022. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It, I forgot about that. That's <laughs> really bad. <laughs> well, it's, it's wild when you think about, like, when you read some of the... St- the scientific studies that are coming out with like memory loss and the trauma effects basically that people are displaying like people who have never displayed trauma in their life are displaying trauma effects from the last couple of years wow. because of everything in a nutshell you know what i mean wow yeah yeah well it's a pleasure to be here so man we're it's almost, you know, you wonder where to begin, right? When when unpacking the kinds of conversations that we tend to have, we tend to go a little bit of everywhere, and I think that this is going to be no different. <laughs> um, but diving into conversation here, one of the biggest things that I've been chomping at the bit to talk to you about is the theology of suffering, I guess is a good way of putting it. There's, I've been going through um, From the Grave. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's a Lent devotional from Tozer. And it's, it gets a little kids these days-ish at points, as Tozer tends to do. But it confronts This idea of spiritual complacency and the reality of suffering. And, you know, I'm, I'm almost glad that it's held off until this point that we finally have this opportunity to be able to have this conversation. Because I think in other, at other points, I wouldn't have been ready to really unpack and be mature enough to understand the depth of experience between the two of us when you start talking about this. And so, you know, I think you've gotten a crash course over the last stretch of time, we'll say, in how seemingly ill-equipped Christians can be when processing suffering themselves, but also... Christians around other Christians who are suffering in some way, shape, or form. Right. If you don't mind me asking, like, what is the general, I want to say, what's the, like, theme? Is there a theme of Tozer's, or is it just a collection of his work and stuff on suffering? Curious. Pursuing the deeper things of God and the things that have to happen. You know, mm. when you're going deeper, a sacrifice must be made. When you're growing in intimacy with God, a sacrifice must be made. 
and that on on the altar of intimacy has to die the self and that takes a lot of different forms that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people that's very nuanced but the different aspects of where this book goes all kind of gravitate back towards daring to go deeper in relationship with God through things like taking up the charge, right? Not being spiritually complacent and having that cruise ship sort of mentality where you sit back and just kind of observe observe life go past you. You can be perfectly fine individual to the people around you. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person per se by the world standards, mm-hmm. but it's just kind of this passive approach towards towards life, you know, on through towards exploring the the road to the cross paul talks about wanting to follow christ unto death in this extreme kind of way by our modern day sensibilities but the reality is is that that should be a posture that every single one of us hold towards the relationship that we have with God and with with Jesus, getting to know the personhood of Jesus. And you don't negotiate out of that without understanding at least to some level what suffering is. Yeah, it rings a lot of familiarity to me. Um, like, the, like, it would probably be safe to say, based on your summary there, and very similar to a lot of Oswald Chambers, work and sayings and posture and things yeah. the I mean just the brute force blunt approach to to following Christ where just the death of self and the um, picking up one's cross whatever that means so and not whatever it means it, I, I, what I mean is in the various ways that that comes yeah so I think, speaking personally, like, I think that as far as being equipped or ill-equipped personally or communally, when it comes to suffering of the trials kind, not, not the Christian persecution kind, I don't really have any experience with that. But when it comes to suffering of just the, we are on a giant floating space rock revolving around a massive ball of gas and things happen, (laughs) kind of sense. When it comes to that kind of suffering and just the trials of this life, I think that it's hard work to, for the person who is suffering and for the community around that person to to stare those trials in the face right. and examine them not to examine them but but constantly stare at them while being grounded in truth of scripture while being grounded in humility while being grounded in I'm going to say, I, I, I think scripture and humility are probably the best two ways that I can say it. So, examples are, um, when you're staring loss, and you're staring bewilderment in the face, and you are being assaulted by just trials of this life, it's very easy, depending on your personality, to tune out or check out, um, you know, as men, we tend to do that, generally speaking, compartmentalize, put it in a box, yeah. you know, and and just move on. Um, and sometimes on the, on the flip side of that or the other side of the coin is to be just so overwhelmed by grief trials that you like Paul says, grieve like those who don't have hope. And I think that distinction, I think that's 2 Corinthians, I think that distinction is really important. Um, 
In fact, now that I'm thinking out loud about this a little bit more, because um, I haven't really thought that. I think you were probably the person I thought about this, I thought aloud about this kind of stuff the most, probably, in the last, in the last two years. Um, so now that I'm thinking out loud about this, I actually compartmentalizing or dismissing the hurt and pain and not thinking about what scripture says about our hurt and pain and difficulties and or getting so lost and overturned and overthrown by grief that you grieve as if there is no hope like just I mean you don't put up a fight against the depression which can lead to all sorts of things alcoholism or or can lead to treating others poorly because you feel poorly like those are actually both sides of those proverbial coin are actually both ways that grieving without hope I think manifests itself and that's what really frustrates me about what Paul says like frustrates me in the sense that like it challenges me like I I don't want to try to grieve like a person with hope because that requires thought <laughs> yep. it requires effort it requires serious thinking about well, what does that mean, mm-hmm. right? Because Christianity doesn't just give us a list of do's and don'ts. When you're sad, do this. When you're sad, don't do that. Like, it's like you have to really think about what he's saying there um, and how that, not just how that applies to you, but how that applies to the people in scripture, I think, just as importantly, or how that applies to people around you. So that's the challenge, I think, is as a person and what um, what you go through and happens to you but then also as a community like I just said when someone is grieving or hurting you know it's easier to send them a card that says everything's going to be okay essentially or it's you know um, some people have that kind of personality where they just tell you how you get over it like how you fix it right and it's like you know as well intended as people can be that's often unhelpful but if you Joe are going through something that I can't understand or if your family is enduring something that I can't understand and I see you being drowned by that and I see and hear you lamenting in an unhealthy way what may be considered biblically unhealthy way I have to then not just pat you on the shoulder I have to as your brother like figure out how to lift you up and how to grieve as those who have hope and that takes a that takes that takes courage on the person who who feels that they need to help someone in that way and it takes thought and it takes humility on the person on the side of the person grieving like to let someone help you I think one of the most telling aspects of the side effects of many, many generations of getting this dichotomy wrong is when we see people that are desperate for connection, for somebody to come alongside them and say, what you're going through is normal for the situation. What you're going through you know, even even if I don't, if even if I've never walked that with that specific road, still coming alongside that person, but that person holding out an arm and saying, "No, no." Typically, the people that I see doing that are the people that have experienced a manipulated version of that very thing, and you know, it's it's easy to jump on these kinds of shows on these kinds of platforms and stand here and say, all right, church, you need to do better. That's not necessarily the point here. The point here is recognizing that in a lot of different ways, this is one of the hardest topics to try and hit from every single angle. And I mean that from every single angle, it's hard. You know, from the person going through it, it's hard. From the person who's standing beside somebody who's going through it, it's hard. You know what I mean? It drives me nuts. I, there are 
there are people around me currently that I hear their desperation. I hear how they want somebody. They just want to fit in. They just want somebody to come alongside them and say that it's okay. But at the same token, they can't bring themselves to accept the hand from somebody else. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> yeah. That's totally me. And, and not, not, I mean, of course, no one thinks that they're, that they are prideful or, you know, uh, whatever synonyms you want to insert there. But, yeah, it, I don't know. It, it is difficult. It is difficult for me and others like me, that you know, people who I know personally, to to recognize that there is a time for what C.S. Lewis would call the need love, you know, versus gift love. Like, there's a time when you you have you have a need. And you, or you are in need, and you need to receive someone else's gift of love, someone else's gift of love, or gift of affection, gift of comfort. Um, yeah, I think that that is not something. It's it's difficult sometimes because of personality, but it is often difficult because of cultural circumstances or cultural influence I would say um, yeah yeah so and, and of course I guess it's not even it's not even fair to say one or the other it's it, it's always it's always some combination of your personality and your environment right that classic um, kind of you know, splitting distinction there but yeah that is that is a major challenge, major aspect of what I'm talking about, um, because I I just speaking personally, I don't want to feel like I don't want to stay very long in a position of need, right. which as humans on again a floating space rock <laughs> revolving around a hot ball of gas uh, we are always in a position of need but I think that's a, again a part of grieving like those who have hope you know Paul says who hopes and what he can see and having hope implies that you are in need of that hope being realized right so I would say to, to people who are suffering or going through things or or put up walls between themselves and people who are trying to help them, even if they think the people who are trying to help them are misguided. I think that that's, again, part of the humility bit. I think that the only way to know how to do it is to just do it, is to let it happen, is to let people in, um, even if they're going to send you Christianized Hallmark sympathy <laughs> cards and yep. like, but that that sometimes is all that people can do and, and it's not it is it is not a Christian attitude to to reject that I think it's a there's a Christian attitude to where you reject false doctrine but most of that's not what we're talking about most of the time in American Christianity is it's not necessarily like a false doctrine coming through the card it's just like cheesy and like you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, I think that that humility again ties into grieving like those who have hope and meditating on that and putting, not just meditating, but then putting it into practice and then going back and like thinking about it some more. That's been the challenge for us, for sure. Yeah. And I think one of the things that makes grief <clears throat> So difficult to walk through, but also so difficult to relate with for a lot of people is grieving and accepting loss and accepting suffering 
requires dispelling the notion that everything's gonna be okay. You know what I mean? Like, you can't... We can say whatever we like. You know, I can I can make you feel good in 87 different ways. But that does not negate the fact that there is truth and reality to the fact that Isaiah and Aspen are waiting for us. And that... That in and of itself implies that sometimes, I'm using air quotes here, bad things happen to good people. The innocent lose their lives seemingly meaninglessly. You know what I mean? And I think that's one of the things that makes it so difficult because it requires everybody in the situation to accept the fact that outside of God, in the most extreme sense that I could possibly convey, that is the only hope that we have. We have things that momentarily make us happy. We have things that momentarily brighten up our day. We have things that we enjoy doing. We have passions on this earth. But outside of God, Every single thing is meaningless, including the human life. And that is a tough pill to swallow because it, re- it forces you to put yourself in the passenger seat. And for a lot of people, what I'm discussing right here is very uncomfortable in the exact reason why they walk away from a faith because they've been taught that if I'm a Christian... This shouldn't happen to me. God's favor, God's blessing should be over me. And so these bad things should not happen. You know, and and at least in America, I know for a lot of you guys listening, I'm, I'm sure that there's some version of this where you're at. But at least in America, that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions that's born from years of bad thought and bad teaching and bad doctrine and all of those kinds of things and just inherited that that these things shouldn't happen to to and and that it becomes a lot of different things as you extrapolate that out you know yeah i think all, all of that is true and all of those are factors you know, the, the theology and the influence from the culture, the influence of a of a society that an idealistic society, you know, even even in our Gen X and millennial pessimism, which is pretty pretty serious compared to like the generations of like you know the boomers and all that before them, like our pessimism is pretty deep, but comparatively, but even 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 then. We still compared to, I think, the rest of the world, and especially the world not in the, not considered "quote unquote" the West. We still have enough. We still have this inbred optimism, or this inbred. I'm not going to say optimism. I'm going to say we take for granted that the sun will rise tomorrow. To use that expression, we take for granted that we can escape these things, or we can make them better or we can make our lives better and all that but specifically what I want to say is those factors aside the culture the theology the bad thinking I think that the practice or lack thereof in our congregations the, the lack of practice that we have of corporate lament has to be like one of the greatest influences um, you know I can't remember what the percentage is. A great number of the psalms are laments. Yeah. A fair number of those laments don't have... How do you want to say it? They don't... If you're a musician, they don't resolve on the on the, on the the home to note. They just kind of leave you hanging. Yeah. So you have several of those laments. There's... 
there's there are at least two books in the Bible that come to, three that come to mind in the Old Testament that come to mind that just leave you hurt and sort of hanging Job, Ecclesiastes, and Lamentations. Like you read those, and it's like you don't just apply those to your life. I think that's a big pet peeve of mine is people constantly harping on application, application, application. What they're trying to say is don't just listen to what the Bible says, but like make it fit for your life. And that's that's fine. I understand that. Like don't just be a hero, be a doer. But the lack of practice that I've attended a, a, a diverse, a culture, a, how do I want to say, a wide array of, of churches, like culturally diverse. I probably attended and for an extended period of time at least five or six churches in the last 10 years. Um, from Maryland to Maine to you know, where I live and my life lives. Like, the lack of practice and rehearsal that we have of lamenting together, of mourning and weeping together. First off, we're only mostly together on the Sunday morning. And then sure, there's a Bible study or something like that during the week or a prayer group. Okay, that's fine. But I think the lack of time that we dedicate to weeping together. Weeping as people who have hope so that younger generations can see what that looks like. But I think that the lack of time that we spend there is extremely damaging. I would say that the, the one place I've been that did that really well was my home church in Baltimore because our prayer nights I, I think it was Thursday night prayer nights um, I mean we would you know you have we would be in the congregation we would be in the main sanctuary and there would be someone leading the prayer time and maybe I'm trying to remember now I haven't thought about this for a while I can't recall if it's they would have a topic or a group or something you know if we're praying for a mission and whatnot but it would it would it would be part planned and it would be part sporadic and you would just be in a circle. It might be like a men's circle. It might be a family with a couple other families together. But you would be in a circle, like locked in arms. And we would pray for just stuff that's terrible. Like someone in the church has cancer. Someone is sick and dying. Someone is lost. You know, we had a lot of loss when I was growing up. And we would pray for the families. We would pray for all that. Like that was as close to what I have personally seen of a church lamenting together on a regular basis. Right. And now that I'm thinking out loud about this, that's actually probably a big part of my story and part of like my perspective and why when I went to college and like you know, Bible college and like thinking through these things, I realized that there's something off about what people are teaching me. Um, I probably didn't realize that. But I don't think I did realize at the time. But I think our, our ignorance of lamentations and the, the songs of lament and our <laughs> our blatant disrespect of the book of Job when we read the first three or four chapters, skip over all the part where Job is, is Israel personified. He's wrestling with God. We skip across all that. We get to what God's responses and then when Job gets all his stuff back and it's like oh see like Job was a good guy and it's like no Job for 20 some odd chapters is wrestling with God and his friends yeah he is he is he is lamenting out loud in such a way that if you stood in a congregation in your average conservative church in America and read it people would think that you're being heretical they would think that you're, you're you are you are saying things of God that are not true because he's working out this. He's working out his pain. He's working out his fear. He's working out his terror. He's working out the fact that he doesn't, there is no intermediary. There is no mediator between he and God. And so who's going to stand in between the two and judge Job rightly because everyone around him is saying you deserve this because if you have been following God, this wouldn't happen to you. Right, so when you read what he, how he's processing, if you just stood up and read the book of Job, or like started around chapter seven or nine, and you just started reading it in modern day language, you'd be like, where is he getting that from? 
And it's not because he's saying concrete things like necessarily. He's he's just he's telling you how he sees it. Yeah. And so our blatant disrespect to not address those chapters oftentimes that I heard in many sermons and many Bible college chapel whatever times are skipping over that and getting to the point where oh see he really was a good guy he got his stuff back it's like no he never understood there was never a rationale given to him as to why he lost his children why everything he had was taken from him in fact if you read the reason the first three chapters it's kind of absurd it's actually satirical (laughs) like you know like you really think about it and like that's really crazy like what is the point of this the point is God doesn't owe you an explanation, but Job, a holy man, will intercede for his friends right. who are in the wrong, who are totally in the wrong, and then the restoration begins. Once you, as a Christian, once you as a follower of God, can still intercede on behalf of other people, can still pray over other people, can still do your God-given duty for other people, that's when restoration happens, not when you get your answers. So I think that just the church... In America, I just speak again of my experience, like East Coast or whatever, if I want to be super local about it, but conservative churches especially, the failure to lament together and to model that for your for the children and to embrace that as part of the of being a Christian, that leaves that leaves that leaves us open to so many things. That leaves a person open to so many things. Right. So you get that walking away because expectations were never properly set or because the individual themselves doesn't want to go that deep because, again, like to walk the Christian life, you have to have people walking it with you and, and, and going with you, you know. I think that that's a huge part of it and that's, that's, that's a big part of, of what we've been trying to do differently is is weep with those who weep, you know, and to embrace when people want to weep with us, you know, metaphorically, you know, figuratively or, or literally speaking. Yeah. <clears throat> and the one thing that I'm, if if you notice in all of that, there was no mention of you have to know what the other person has gone through in order mm. to be there and do that. You know what I mean? Our situation is unique. I, for one reason or another, God has put me in the path of multiple men at this point that have walked this walk mm. of losing a kid. Mm. And for my money, I've not met a harder Um, lost than that, a, a, a harder thing to go through in life than than that, and I think for me, in looking at you, I know what I did. I know how I ran away from it. I know how I bottled it. I know how I tried everything in my power to not face this thing head on because there was no answer there was no good reason why isaiah died and i wasn't cool with that and so my my big thing was was looking looking to you and saying okay here's what i did don't do any of that (laughs) don't do any of that you know what i mean And, and I think for those of us that go through these things, we need to be willing, yes, we need to be willing to talk about it, but there needs to be open environments to be able to talk about it. Because you talk about some of these things, and like you said, it's almost heretical in in its in its nature to talk about some of this stuff to a lot of people and then that's even if you can even get as far as to talk about it because you talk about some of this stuff that you can experience in this life especially as somebody who is uh, 
you know, in, in ministry of any kind, then all of a sudden all kinds of nonsense and out-of-pocket things start coming across like, you know, God's favor must not be on you because something happened or my personal favorite, God just must have needed an angel. Oh, man. Yeah. That's yeah. That's pretty. Well, yeah. Those are examples of dodging, dodging the, like, what do you call it? Uh, you know, dodging the bullet, dodging the, not doing the hard work. I'm struggling to come up with a phrase, but that's all part of not doing the hard work of staring staring confusion and chaos and no answers and death and sorrow and the potential for no hope or hopelessness in the face. Like you have to face those and you can face it and trust that it will be redeemed because God came in flesh and faced it. We don't just have this abstract idea of that happening. We have the example and the incarnation that said, you still have to walk that and to dismiss it. That's what, that's really what I'm saying is the dismissive attitude is just as bad, whether from the community or from the person going through it. The dismissive is just as bad and opposite of what Paul's talking about as drowning in it and not fighting back and not, you know, not, and not realizing that, that grief and sorrow and like I said being overcome by those things is a, is a temptation it's actually a, it's actually a temptation that you have to fight and it can happen either way like I we were on I was definitely on both sides of that battle at different times in the past year and a half like where it's just like I just don't want to fight I don't want to think about fighting this I just I just want to lay down and be hopeless. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And and again, there's time and room to just give people, but then there's also like, if it weren't for me, personally, if it weren't for the example of many great people in my life you know, through, who have walked with me, who have mentored me, who have taught me or you know, prayed for me over the years, if it weren't for my family, the kind of house I grew up in, and you know, if it weren't for a lot of the old dead guys and girls on my bookshelf, <laughs> you know, to comfort me to be like, yeah, we get it. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what I would, I don't know what I would have done. Um, but that's, again, that's a community that's over across time and space, but that is a community in a sense, both people you've met and both people and people you are reading or who are expounding on these things that you're, you're, you're learning from. So, um, but you, yeah, I, I think I think the dismissal is really is really characteristic. The, the dismissive attitude is probably preached more obviously more than the other side of the coin, being drowned by your sorrow, right? But we've got to corporately meditate on lament. We've got to corporately grieve together. We've got to lock arms and pray for situations that we don't know how they're going to turn out that look really terrible. We have to like literally cry together in order because you have to practice those things in order to know them to know what that means so that when it comes around to be your time when it's when you're in the next row as they say like you you at the very least know where to turn right you know so i'm 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 extremely grateful and and i mean you know indebted to people who over the years even before losing aspen like who have been there for me, or who have been, who have poured into me in that fashion. But I just encourage people, you gotta, you gotta do more of that. If you're a pastor, if you're a church leader, you gotta start with you. You gotta meditate on, on those books of scripture that are not preached on, or those, those portions of the letters, or those portions of the Psalms that are not, that are not written in the Hallmark cards. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And it's important to know, you know, I'll, I'll be the first one to say that there are some people that you can just tell by the hard edge that they have that they've they've experienced things. Like there are there are certain 
there's a certain way of being that only comes from going through the paces and going through the fire. And so it is not the easiest thing in the world for somebody who has never experienced that to be able to relate and to be able to engage with all of that, um, especially if you try and meet it as a human. If you try and meet it from your perspective of, I need to say the right thing, I need to do the right thing, I need to be what the other person needs me to be, um, almost in a way where it's approached as if the Bible is silent about how to be those things for other people, when in all actuality, the Bible is very vocal about how to be there for people and how to engage people in a way that breathes life into them without trying to fix their problems. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because that's that's the thing, right? Like there are some things you just you just can't fix. You just can't you can't put a band-aid on it. You can't misquote a scripture and make it feel better. You know what I mean? And uh, you can you can only say what is it philippians 4:13 enough times i can do all things through christ who gives me strength have you seen have you seen the babylon b uh, i think i think steph curry uses that as a like i don't know he's got a tattoo and he says that a lot or whatever and they like they had their spoof you know like steph was he was dismayed bewildered to discover that there were more after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't mean to pick on him in particular. I'm sure he's a great guy. Babylon Beast being satirical. Because they're pointing, they're poking fun at athletes and other people who used to just pull that out as a, you know, rip off the, you know, rip off the, 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 the you know, get your car can on, you know, like do the Superman thing or whatever. Like, you know, I can do all things and like bust out the phone booth. It's like, no, Paul has just finished saying, I know how to be content when I have nothing. Right. I can do all things through Christ. Like, yeah, no, that's not my American version of that. <laughs> right. I don't want to know the secret to being content in all things because we're not, I'm not good at that. You know what I mean? So, but even beyond, even for people who, who have not experienced a degree of suffering that they might think gives them an authority. Because there are plenty of people who have experienced suffering and still doesn't necessarily give them authority to speak on it or to, to walk with someone, not necessarily. Even to people who don't have that, again, the practice uh, and, and emphasis in our churches on lamenting corporately, on understanding the implications of the incarnation that Christ was a man of sorrows, you know, well acquainted with grief. To understand and just spend spend our time thinking through that and working through that, teaching through that, living that, praying that with people, like that's how you prepare for these circumstances, not preparing like an exam, SATs or whatever, check off the, the right multiple choice, it's not, that's not life. But that's how you can still, I, that's how I know, I even when I have plenty of people who I have grieved with without having gone through their circumstances, people much older than me, because I never felt like I had to say the right thing. Right. I never felt like I had to have the answer I am like, you know, a, a social person, so it, it's really hard to make me feel awkward. Like tears don't make me feel awkward or whatever. Like, so you know, there's a social thing there too. But like, even as a teenager, I never felt like I had to have the answer to someone's problem. But I just knew that, well, Christ would probably come around them and weep with them, and you know, let them know He'd be there. And there's always food. You know this. Every time you come here, whether you're happy or sad, I'm happy or sad, or whatever, like, just, you know, I'm just ready to feed people, because, oh, because, because Christ, Christ 
was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of sinners, and his way, one of his ways of fighting back against, against the darkness of this world was to bring people in and fellowship and take care of their needs and to fill their bellies. Like, he just, he understood that. So, so that's again, even for people who don't feel like they have the knowledge, quote unquote, or the experience, and it's fine if you don't. The point is, teachers and leaders in churches need to be training people through the scriptures how to grieve and lament with people. Um, right. Teachers should have, of course, answers to certain questions or certain quandaries you know, that people have. Um, because again, there is there is a way that you can grieve without hope in, in an unchristian fashion. But for the rest of the, the gray area, the middle ground, where it's just like people are in process, we gotta practice that together. We have to do that together. And James says, not many of you should be teachers because you will be judged more harshly. Like, as a person who's taught in several different churches, like, I think about that a lot. Like, what have I said? <laughs> what have I said? What have I modeled? And, you know, Lord forgive me <laughs> for really? if I've missed, you know what I mean? But that's what our teachers and leaders need to do. You've got to meditate on these things, on those passages that are not popular or not triumphant, victorious, whatever. Like, you, you've got to walk yourself through that on a regular basis so that you can teach others how to do the same. Yeah, one of the biggest things that gave me an appreciation for the ridiculous position that pastors are put in regardless of whether or not it's sound doctrine regardless of whether or not it's a church you agree with all of that kind of stuff regardless if it's somebody who is living out the calling of a pastor one of the things that really gave me an appreciation was that whole idea of teaching out of a place of authenticity because that means that you are going to step forward and be very honest and you are going to say a lot of things to a lot of people over the course of your time teaching and i've learned firsthand that that means that people have the ability and the opportunity to be able to take that and go real out of pocket with what you say and if what you say is shorthand or if what you say is sip is uh, flippant or anything like that other people that are listening to you teach have a uh, th there's going to be an effect to that you know what i mean there's there's somebody receiving that and that's humbling that's sobering to think about you know what i mean it is it is definitely is and i and i think that with this kind of thing you know it, it's it's been fascinating right i've been going through um very specific parts of the bible over the last couple of months and just kind of doing reps in this particular way and i did this over um advent season as well and it's this whole idea of of focusing on very specific things for this time and one of the spots has been the gospels with the idea of not just taking in the major themes, but allowing the Bible to talk about Jesus in the nuance, mm. in, in, in his nuanced approach towards things and things like that. And I, I've been taken to this place of thinking about, you know, we, I just crossed four years. I only, the only reason why I know is because it was a couple of weeks before Easter that I got saved. So I know that it's been about four years. And one of the biggest things that has been my rallying cry has been hope, has been the hope of things outside of this present circumstance that we can actually put our, put our trust into. And that's what gets to that word trust. That's a very mm, dirty word. And I don't just mean that in like a curse word sense. I mean that in there's so much shades of gray to trusting. And Jesus was a guy that, for all intents and purposes, every single time, 
that he, or I should say most times, that he stepped forward to do something quote-unquote good, he was slapped in the face for it. He he was spitting, he, 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 people spit in his face over and over and over again as he is healing and teaching and trying to bring people closer to God. And this is the man that that trust is born from. The man that walked this earth, that's where that trust stems from. And that, to me, has an impact recognizing that this man that we put our trust in had everything to gain. You know what I mean? He, he, his, his life was postured in the way where you're talking about a, an aspect of God in human flesh. And if you would have said no, that wouldn't have made God bad. That wouldn't have made God any kind of incomplete. That this is, this is the derivative where salvation comes from. And, and understanding that should bear an impact on what we have as far as hope and trust and different things like that. Because we literally look to the archetype for suffering. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's, that is a great challenge, the trust aspect. Trusting that, trusting that there is I'm just saying, trusting that there is life, you know, whether it's life after death or even life after your suffering, life after your hopes, your career hopes, your family hopes are crushed. Trust that there is resurrection of the body, yes, but also of faith. Joy. That's hard. It's really difficult. And so looking at Jesus is more than just reading a few flowery things or, you know, um, or positive thinking or sending money into a, a church. Real trust is the work of, yeah, like you said, realizing that. Jesus is is trusting God in his in his way as the Father and you know Gospel of John says that he did not entrust himself to, to man because he knew what was in their heart because he knew that at every turn they would slap him in the face and that they would reject him and that he would be despised and so trusting in the face of of that trusting in the face of of the world rejecting you of your own your own ideas about what life should be like crumbling or what your ambitions and plans are that's hard and I don't think I don't think it can be done well Outside of a strong community, I think that in, as American Christians, we are across the spectrum super individualistic. Like it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 everything gets boiled down to your time and your relationship with God. And when the community is brought in, it's hey, did you go to service? Like, did you go to church? Like, are you? You know, it's 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 very much washed and all of that but yeah that trusting in the face of everything that is pushing against pushing against you that's the I mean that's the walk man that's and I, I certainly yeah I certainly have my days and my moments where where it's almost ambivalent in my mind as to whether I want to trust or not. 
Because when you start when you start to put the effort up to trust God, you, you there is a point of acceptance of just like this is how things are, and you know, like Oswald Chambers always talks about, writes about, wrote about picking up your cross, dying to self, or oh, what is the phrase that he uses most often? I can't think of it. I have to look it up. It's bothering me. But he uses, there's just a phrase that he uses often in his devotionals. I don't read them very often because they're so heavy that I can't deal. <laughs> like, I call, I nickname him, there's a utmost for his highest devotional. And it's really the only one I read. Like, of any devotionals, like, personal, like I, just, I just don't read a lot of devotionals. Uh, so that makes me a bad Christian. But uh, I only read it, I can only handle so much. It's one page per devotion, but it's so packed and infused with the self-death and the life in Christ, and it's so un-American. It's so, you know, I'm grateful, grateful middle-class upbringing. It's so not that kind of Christianity, right? You know, not to say that my Christianity wasn't true, just like, a lot of the bad parts, the bad things, the fluff that gets added on to assumptions when you're a middle-class Christian, right? I can't think of the phrase. I have to look it up. But when you begin that work of trusting and dying to yourself and killing off your hopes and dreams as, as your salvation, I mean, then, you know, then you just have to keep doing it. <laughs> right? You just have to continue to work at it and it never ends per se and then on the flip side mentally for me it's like well if I just decide to give up today it's like well that doesn't feel good either (laughs) you know so yeah I haven't I haven't really thought about about the grief in terms of trust very much I know I know that's been a key word for you which is good I need a reminder um I gotta look up that phrase though. It's killing me that I can't remember how he puts it because he just um, he puts it so well. Um, I have to find it. While you're doing that, you know, <clears throat> I I know that an episode like this is is easy to check out from. You know, sitting here talking for the last hour about suffering and things like that is, it's not attractive. You know, it's not what, somewhere some podcast coach someplace is losing their mind over this conversation because this isn't what brings clicks, this isn't what brings um, ratings so to speak, but this is exactly the kind of conversation that needs to happen among the church. And to pull the curtain back a little bit, you know, it's this comes a bit easier to this specific situation considering Seth and I have done community, I would say, on and off since 2020. 2019. 2019. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so so we know each other. We have we have walked long enough with one another to be able to have the authority to speak into the other person's life that in a way that only community can. But that is a conversation unto itself that that such a such a starved part of many American Christians' lives is that community aspect of it. And for those of us that have been burdened with the searing pain of loss, it's our responsibility to stand up and to say something for the people that haven't had the opportunity to be able to engage with the community and to be able to reconcile some of these things that don't just magically go away. Okay, good. Let me read a clip. This this phrase occurs 
I mean, it, it has to be a solid like forty-five percent or so of the of the devotional I'm reading from the yearly devotional my most for his highest. So this is like from one of the first entries. Chambers says, We shall all feel very much ashamed if we do not yield to Jesus on the point he has asked us to yield to him. Paul says, My determination is to be my utmost for his highest. To get there is a question of will, not of debate nor of reasoning, but a surrender of will, an absolute and irrevocable surrender on that point. And that's the phrase. He he finds a way. It might even be more than fifty percent of the time. He always finds a way. It's just a. It's just. It's a theme of his work. That following Christ is a surrender of one's will, absolute and irrevocable surrender. Man, I, I could read. I could. I could keep reading. I won't. But you know, that's what's ringing in my head as you're talking about trust and as I'm like thinking about hope is there's you have to surrender your will to Christ's in order to truly to truly be acquainted with the man of sorrows because sorrow because a man of sorrows is not just sad that things don't work out right <laughs> it's not just about because we can all be sad that things don't work out. No, no, no. It's, again, it's that grieving like those who have hope. And so I would challenge, I do challenge anyone listening to this. Ask yourself and work through what, what does it mean as a community of people to surrender our will together? I mean, there's, a, I, have, I, have a, I have a family member in my life right now, in my wife's side, like, he just, he amazes me. And he, he, he is, he models and he is just the walking example of a person who just, he just shows me how to just like lay down your life, man. Like you're worried about the wrong things all the time. He's always telling me that. And, and He's, he's almost always right. <laughs> but he, but he, that's what I'm talking about. It's like, it's not like he comes to me and is like, you're an idiot. Like, no, like, we just do life together. We get together as family or whatever. But like, he is living out and demonstrating for his, his kids and his family, like, what it means to lay down his will. So when things don't go the right way, like, he's, he's just living that. You know, it's not, it's not complicated. It's difficult, but it's not complicated. Right. But I would say, yeah, as grieving people, the trust and the hope factor and the, the fighting the temptation of giving in or grieving like those who don't have hope, that's, that's, that's a battle, man. Like, it really is. But again, I'm, I'm so grateful for, I'm grateful for you. I just want to say that. Really grateful for you, your presence, your, your prayers, um, your persistence um, as we've been walking through our losses. It's, it's been more than just losing aspect. I mean, you just, you know, you lose, you lose so much in that. And then, and then the show that, the last two years have been globally, you know, yeah. too. but I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for people in my life who have been helping me prepare for this moment before I even, or this time in my life when I didn't even know it. And I haven't really reflected on that much, honestly. I'm thinking out loud as I talk to you, but I haven't reflected on those prayer nights back in my home church. I haven't reflected on people, you know, who, who modeled things like that for me. Yeah. And I think, it, you know, as, as we bring this thing into a, in for a landing, I think one of the biggest things that needs to be taken into consideration with all of this and really emphasized is the fact that we're not going to sit here and button it up. 
You know what I mean? There's there isn't some some quippy ending to this conversation, some resolution point. So for some, this is gonna feel like we're leaving it out there hanging, but that's the reality of suffering. That's the reality of reconciling all of these things, that it's not clean, it's not buttoned up. You don't get some kind of nice resolution point, but it's it's reality. It's It's part of the bane of being a human, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, there's no... There's no easy way to endure, but it's, again, it's not complicated either. Um, I just, you know, world events, my own life, people in my life, I just, more than ever, I've just come to the conclusion that there is no hope for the world but Christ. <laughs> exactly. Of course, in 20, you know, in 2019, you would have asked, you would have asked me like, you know, in a catechism sense, like, what is the hope of the world? Ah, I will tell you. But, man, I feel it. Like, I just, yeah, I just, I'm, as I watch and observe and listen to the grief in my own heart, but in the world, uh, and the responses to grief, responses to tragedy, excuse me, responses to suffering and sorrow and the bubble being burst on Americans especially, like, <clears throat> yeah, I just I know I feel it in my bones now. No, there is no hope. <laughs> I came to my wife one day. I just like recently, like in the last few weeks, I saw something and I was just like, it does not matter how much progress we make as a society. Like it's 2022, and these things are still certain things are still happening and still true about human nature, and they were also true thousands of years before Jesus came. Like. There is no hope, <laughs> yeah. but Christ, like, and so, yeah, 